Welcome to Recovery Uncovered, brought to you by Whiskey and Milk. I'm Adam Clark. I'm Sarah Sellers. As recovering addicts, we're on a mission to fight the stigma against addiction. And inspire those struggling by sharing the experience of real people in recovery. Because addiction doesn't discriminate. Behind every struggle, there's a person with a story. This This is is Recovery Recovery Uncovered. Uncovered. Attention, now arriving at your destination, the last house on the block. Welcome, everyone, to episode two of Recovery Uncovered. Yeah, we're joined today by Michael and Madison Graham, uh, two close friends of Sarah and I's, and they're going to share a little bit about their experience, strength, and hope with us. I'm really excited. I'm really excited y'all came on today. Um, It's really nice to have a couple in recovery, and there's a lot that we do want to ask you guys about your experience, your own personal experiences, but also what it's like now being actively in recovery in a relationship with a whittle, a little at home, a little Graham. Um, so, um, Adam, you want to kick it off and interrogate them? Yeah. Yeah. I hope you guys are ready. No, right. uh, um, so, uh, first I just wanted to start, I guess we'll just go like one at a time. Um, but Madison, when did you get sober? I got sober. Okay. So I got sober in August of 2018, but my, my DOC was Xanax. So I'm not sure if it's the 4th of August or the 6th. So what do I'm, you go by the 6th just in case. Yeah. So you might have two more days than you think. Yeah. Rowdy. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Rowdy. Nice. Yeah. What about you, Michael? Uh, my sobriety date is September the 10th, uh, 2022. So coming right up on a year there. We got uh, two two days left. Come on now. Yeah. We could record for 48 hours and watch you. Let's get go. a year. Marathon. Get a year yeah. live. We would have no friends left on Facebook. <laughs> no, <but. laughs> right. my work will be upset at me, but it's fine. Yeah, yeah. right. It's God's will. Right. Yeah, right. So what was it? like before getting sober and this is gonna be a question for both of you but just kind of and you don't have to go too far into detail but when did you start why did you start why would you do something like that right to you and your family that's right yeah yeah so i'll go um i think i had my first drink when i was like 14 or 15 um the first time i got drunk i was after a while vomiting violently um, in some dude's bathroom, his mom had to like roll me out of her car into my yard. Wait, this <laughs> is like your first time? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't just me and the dude. It was like me and some friends. That makes it better. A little better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think I had Natty Light and um, oh. I'd like, you know, one too many or something. Yeah. And it was just off to the races. Um, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. It was my whole, I made it my whole personality, you know? Yeah. Was that what you were thinking that night and when you woke up from that night? Like, this is the best thing ever? Or did you feel at all like... Is there any moment of remorse like that next morning? No. No. I was ready for the next night out. Yeah, I relate to yeah. that. Yeah. I was right back to it. I was ready. I was scared, like, rolling out of that lady's car. You know? Yeah. Or yeah, into yeah. my yard. I was like, I know my mom's going to get me. 
but yeah. she didn't. You know, I made it in safe and sound somehow, and uh, kept it rolling. So no consequences that first time. No, no, it was probably ten years until I started having consequences, like real consequences. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you? What would you say is a real consequence? <sighs> Failing out of Ole Miss, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Was, that was like one of the first. I got like a buckshot twice. So it's like a 0. 0.0 GPA. Oh. Two times. I didn't know what a buckshot. Gang, gang. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing all right. I did yeah. it four times. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, twice. So that wasn't quite 10 years. But, right. Um, it was a long time. And, you know, my parents were like, this is unacceptable. And it, like, really loudly yeah yeah you didn't whisper it to you it was like a it was like a really big deal and uh, i was like dang yeah i remember the um like the president of the student body or whatever at Ole miss at the time had me come in for a meeting in his office and he was like have you ever thought that maybe college isn't for you oh yeah so he was saying you're just not you're not good here he wasn't saying how can i help no oh yeah. Or insinuating that you had a problem or anything like that. No, he was like, you should go. Wow. So what was it like, like after that first night where you started drinking, what what did your progression look like as you moved on to more regular use, other substances? So it was, it was pretty slow. I think I stuck with drinking for a long time. Um, and it was, you know, whenever I could get my hands on it, which wasn't very often, I was like barely driving and wasn't like friends with older people or right you know I wasn't really hanging out with people who were getting messed up all the time um I'd say it got a lot worse probably when I left for school for college yeah Yeah. when it was you know everywhere more available yeah um would you say that you were telling people around you this is what I want to do I'm not going to stop all I care about is drinking, doing drugs. Like, did you did you voice that out or did you claim that it wasn't really what you wanted? Yeah, so I denied, or I denied that I had a problem until I got out of treatment. Okay, um, yeah. And I would never, like, what was your question again? Like, if you were, and I, I think about this for myself because I do think I was pretty secretive about it. Like, I didn't tell people outright, I want to be a druggie. You know, I want to, like, I want to be messed up all the time and never sober. Yeah. So, I think I was in denial myself about it. Like, um, I just thought I would have this really fun, cool party life. Yeah. And, um, you know, it would never become a problem. Yeah. Yeah, I relate to that. Like, that's all I wanted to do was party. But I didn't think, like, all I want to do is get drunk all the time and get, like, I just wanted to be at the party. Yeah, I wanted to have fun. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's what I thought I was doing for a long time. Like, when I look back at it now, even at the start, it was, like, it was a shit show from the jump. Yeah. Like, Im- immediate, uh, which I didn't start till I was you know, 18, but, like, immediate consequences, immediate failing out of school, trouble with the law, like, one thing after another. But I just would tell myself, like, oh, I'm young. It's what everybody else is doing. And that excuse worked real good till I was, like, 23 and like all my friends had graduated college yeah. and then they were getting engaged and then yes. they started popping out babies. And I was like, 
I'm over here at yeah. the bar. Right. Gang, gang. Yeah. Why is yeah. life so hard to me? Why can't I have what all these other people Yeah. Have? If uh-huh. only I had their parents, if my parents hadn't divorced, yeah. if et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I re- that's my story. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I think about what parents, because I mean, we're getting older. You guys have a kid. I'm not trying to put him in this. I'm just saying. <laughs> like People, parents now, what do you look for when you're suspicious of your child having traits of an addict or an alcoholic. And I don't think, you know, I think you really have to sit down. You would have really had to sit down with me and get to know me and get to know what I'm, um, what I'm excited about instead. Cause I'm not going to come out right and say, all I want to do is drink with my yeah. life. That's all I want. You know, those yeah, you were had to bug my car to get that. Yeah. Right. Right. There's no way. Yeah. Right. I but, wouldn't say it to myself either. Same. It, yeah. It I took was me feeling a long it, time though. to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I think there was a period where, like, I knew that there was an issue. Like, I definitely knew that the painkillers were a problem. But it, it was the same story for me. Like, I was in rehab when I realized, like, oh, I, I can't drink or smoke weed or do anything like normal people. Like, yeah. it's as soon as I start, it's a shit show. Even if I don't, like, rob my grandma when I'm smoking weed, like, I just become a blob melted into a couch. Yes. Like, Yes. And my life goes nowhere, and I just waste away. And um, and I had to have other alcoholics and addicts point that out to me. Like, yes. well, tell me what it was like when you first started before the painkillers. And I was like, oh, I filled out of school four times. And they're like, hmm, normal people don't do that. Right. Like, <sighs> that was shocking to me. Yeah. 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 Michael, what about you? Oh, just like where it started? Answer every single question <laughs> that I just asked oh, yeah, Madison. No uh, I was tracking, so... <laughs> No, similar story. Uh, I was probably about 14. Uh, first time I got drunk, uh, didn't care for it too much. I was probably about like 12 or 13 the first time I got drunk. But the first time I realized that I was different was I was 14 and we were at a bonfire and some friends got like a case of beer and a, and a joint. And we finished the case of beer, smoked the joint, everybody went to bed. And I was sitting there at the fire by myself like, we need more of this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, uh, and, and that feeling never went away. Like yeah, that that was that that fire was started and didn't go out for fifteen years. Yeah. So, uh, and then yeah, similar similar to her. I mean, I didn't have consequences until you know I did, and uh, then I my story took a pretty hard turn when it took one. Uh, I got arrested like eight times in twelve months, and uh, that was the first time I realized like normal people don't keep getting you know mm-hmm. it wasn't the cops fault it wasn't the roadblocks fault or whatever the situation was you know maybe it was me and uh you know what the treatment but like we we hear in the um rooms you know i wasn't done you know i was caught but i wasn't finished and uh you know it wasn't until i was that you know i finally admitted to myself that if you want a different life you got to do different things yeah and uh you know as far as that question you asked about Early on, like, how do you know if a child, like, I don't, I don't, I don't say I was an addict as a kid, but, uh, like I would come up with these fabulous stories, mm-hmm. you know, like I would go to school and tell my teachers, Hey, uh, we were robbed last night. Like somebody broke into our house and, and stole a bunch of stuff, you know? And like, that didn't happen. And, uh, but I, I was like, you know, wanting attention or wanted to be, you know, I don't know what it was, Yeah. but normal kids didn't do that. Uh, like I said, they say it, you know, it starts at a young age, but you know, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but I do know that I was probably the only one that went to school and, 
you know, faked a robbery at home in, right. in the second grade. Right. Yeah. So. I did yeah, something I similar to that. I, 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 see that. I, I, <laughs> I, I had a unibrow as a kid and I went home and got my dad's razor and, and I accidentally shaved off half my eyebrow in el- like elementary school. Maybe I was, I don't, I don't know what age, but I went, I went to school my mom tried her best to put some makeup on me, and the teacher asked, um, what happened to your eyebrow? And I freaked out, and I said, me and my brother got in a knife fight, and I ran away, and they <laughs> called my parents <laughs> to the school, and yeah. were like, you know, what what is this claim that she's making that your her brother cut her in the face with a knife? Well, um, but yeah. It's like, I don't, I, I don't, and I, I think about me being uncomfortable when he asked me. It's like the next right action yeah. for me if I'm not recovered, is lie and run away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got, like, very practiced at lying from a very young age. Yes. And unfortunately, that made me really good at it by the time I was actually getting in some consequences. And I would spin stories, and I was talking to to somebody about this the other night. Like, I would just talk and talk and explain and explain and keep going until either you believed me or you were so damn tired of listening to me that you would just agree to it. Yeah. Like I would yeah. never admit guilt. I would never accept fault. I would never tell you that, oh, you caught me. I was lying. Like yeah. there would be another story come up. I would yeah. spin it somehow. Yes. 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 I, had, I had this really good friend and uh, we, we would always hang out and kind of do the same things, but I would do that. We would go, we, I'd be explaining something to him and I would really go into this big long story and he'd be like dude you can just you know you don't have to explain yourself just answer yes no and i was like yes i do i have to tell you these other three stories because you asked why i was 10 minutes late mm-hmm. yeah like, you need to hear this whole whole spiel yeah i think some of that for me at least like stems from always feeling different always feeling less than like even as a young kid and so like i thought if i i told you this grand story or even like when i was telling sort of the truth about something like I would always embellish add on you know if uh, I got arrested by two cops now there were seven of them like uh, or you know whatever it was like I just I wanted you to to think better of me or think I was cooler or more badass or whatever I was trying to be yeah yeah so um we talked a little bit last episode about moments of clarity and like all those times that we could have taken a different action. Um, and you know how rock bottom people use that term a lot, but for y'all, what was your final moment for, for both of you with the time that you have now? Michael, you can go first. I have to think about it for a second. Okay. Yeah. Mine's, mine's fresh. Uh, you know, 11 months and 28 days ago, I was in a hotel room in Jackson, Mississippi. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, again, not done. Uh, if it, if it were up to me, I would, I would have kept going, but, uh, you know, God intervened in my life. And, uh, this one came into the hotel room with a uh, positive pregnancy test and never have I felt a, you know, overwhelming moment of clarity. I've had moments in the past, but, um, you know, for the past two and a half years, I had been before that um, moment had been kind of trying to get sober, like pretty seriously. Um, but as we know, when the allergy kicks in, if you allow it to kick in again, it's really hard to stop it. And that mm-hmm. what, that's what had happened. So, um, and I was really crying for help, and the help showed up. And I mean, that was that was that. 
you know, she, uh, for the third time in two weeks, I think took me to treatment, um, from the hotel room and, uh, yeah. I don't know this story. You showed up at the hotel room? Yeah. Yeah. How did like, you know? Well, he had his location on. Oh. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah, I was. Yeah, I was suicidal. I wanted people to find me. Yeah. Something happened. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So what was that like for you, Madison? That, I mean, it was really hard. It was like constant suspense and um, like a very difficult thing to kind of let go of and let happen. You know? Yeah. It was like constant, you know. Let, let let go and let God, but um, I, you know, I was in contact with, I had support, and um, some of the guys at Linwood House were in contact with me, kind of helping me help Michael because he, you know, he would run off and do these things, like, but he would keep in touch with me, and he made it known that he wanted me to know where he was, and that I, I don't think he was, I don't know. He, I think he wanted help. Why did you make it known to her? Like I said, I mean, I was, I was genuinely, I won't say any action was ever planned, but I was suicidal and I knew that I wanted to live, you know, so I was kind of the whole time crying for help, you know, I wanted, yeah. and, and she was doing everything she could and her and a whole group of people were doing everything they could to help me. But, um, like I said, that, um, the, the physical rock bottom hadn't kicked in yet, so I was still running and gunning there yeah. for a minute. So that was uh, that was it. But I wanted, you know, as I, that's where I met you guys was in one of the yeah. the earlier the times before that. You know, um, before this past year, I mean, six months or five months and twenty five days was the most I'd ever put together, and uh, that was that time was the best time I'd ever had in my life. And I wanted that back. Hmm. So I stayed in contact with somebody I thought, you know, could help me get back there. Yeah. Yeah. They say, uh, you know, getting into recovery, sobriety, it'll, it'll ruin your drinking when you, when you go back because you got all that knowledge and you got that memory of like what it was like when your shit was together and, you know, like life was good and you could lay down and go to sleep at night instead of passing out. And, um, I know I, I relate to, what you were kind of saying with like crying out for help without crying out for help. When I look back at like the last several months of my drinking and using, um, I got sloppy, but like, it wasn't that I, I, I didn't know like how to cover my tracks anymore, but it's like, I just didn't care. Like I was, I was at the point where like, I wasn't quite yet willing to be like, I need help, but I wasn't really going to be that upset if you caught me. Yeah. Cause like, that was easier at the time. It was easier for me to get caught. And then like I'm backed into a corner now. I have to be honest than for me to just come forward and, and be honest on my own. Um, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. manipulation was programmed in at that point. Yeah. You just running on the same thing that you've been doing for, for however long, or at least I was like, um, like I, I, I didn't know how to be honest, uh, about, about really much of anything. Um, up until getting sober and then still struggled with that for, I don't remember how long, but like, I mean, still to this day, sometimes like if somebody asks me an uncomfortable question, that first instinct can be like, lie, yeah. don't tell them the truth. Yeah. Like, or if I'm going to face some sort of consequences to come up with some bullshit real quick. Yeah. Um, 
But the cool thing about recovery is like, I don't have to act on that first instinct anymore. Right. Before it was just like snap fire effect. Like the lie was coming out of my mouth before I even had any thought about it. And now I can, I can pause and be like, yeah, don't do that. Like own up to it, take your consequences, deal with whatever the, the reaction is to the situation. Um, Cause I've learned that that's way easier in the long run. Right. The consequences that we're so scared of are not bad. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. never as bad as I think they're going to no. be. No, no, it's always fine. Yeah. And experience has taught me like God's going to get me through whatever they are in sobriety, as long as I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. But I can still have that, that moment of doubt where I'm like, I don't know. He got me through the last 347 situations that I screwed up, yeah. but 348 and that's the one he's going to leave me on. Yeah. like, Okay, Adam. Yeah. Get your head out of your ass. That that ego stepping in and, and making you more important than you know, that for me anyways, that's what I see when I feel doubt. Yeah. Like that's me trying to take control of the situation and that's why I'm doubtful because I know I'm powerless over these situations. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. I like to still think that like, oh, I got this. I did this. I'm the reason that my life's this way. Like no, no, we have 25 years before sobriety of clear examples that Adam cannot run his own life successfully. Um, that Adam will run it into the ground, matter of fact, over and over and over again. Um, but still that pops up in different areas of my life. Yeah. I I really would like if y'all could go back um, to when you first met, how much time you had, and then how this kind of came about because there's a lot more to before the hotel scene you just <laughs> gave us a depiction of um so yeah if you'll just run with that i'd, I'd like to hear it from y'all started with building a fence yeah right yeah so, uh, there was the yeah okay yeah there was this uh group called uh missy paul i don't know if you've mentioned that on here but um yeah it's a group for young alcoholics to get together and realize there's more young alcoholics out there and that's where we met was in that group um, by somebody that you formerly knew introduced me to Missy Paul and uh, couldn't go without mentioning that. But uh, yeah, so walked in one day, we're in this meeting. There's this uh, really strong armed guy running the meeting and there's this girl in the corner being really sassy to him and she caught my attention. Uh, and that was this one here. Um, and then um, I had, you know, over the years, you know, through running through a thousand jobs, kind of know how to do a lot of things. And she texts in a group one day and asked how I need to help build a fence. And I was like, you know, I know how to build fences. You know, I'm sure she just like needs a little dog fence or something or like, you know, closing a gate. No big deal. I'll get there. Um, I get to her house. There's three horses and a how pasture. Many acres? And yeah, five acres. We're putting a fence. We're cutting it. In, we're cutting it in half um, to separate the horses because there's the biggest, strongest horse is uh, you know kind of aggressive towards the oldest one, and aggressive towards new people, which I was. And uh, <laughs> so we had to, you know, my first real time spent alone or, or together with her was uh, fending off you know twelve hundred pounds of you know. <laughs> angry horse and uh and we got it done and it was you know i don't know what to call it but the cooperation the communication was really easy and fun and uh we had another friend there she's uh uh, julia and uh she pointed out she said you guys are adorable and uh then then we were like are we 
Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Julia. Yeah. And uh, so. Out, Julia. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then after that, I mean, I don't know. You know, dinner, blah, blah, blah. You know, we were. Uh, chicken spaghetti. Chicken spaghetti. Yeah, you made the chicken spaghetti. I remember that. That's how I knew. She, oh, she yeah. Like, All right. So he's, you know, interested. Yeah. I'm going to cook. Yeah. <laughs> and I brought this huge pan of chicken spaghetti to the next Missy Paul meeting. I remember that. And everybody wanted some. And I was like, no. It's for him. So this is for Michael. Michael. I'm trying to secure a husband. Yeah. Back up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was really good. Yeah, you know when she like cooks a whole casserole for you like that. You meant business. Right. Yeah. yeah. So what was your relationship like both being in recovery leading up to the hotel? I mean, it was like before Michael, you had your relapse and so, you know, what was that? It was kind of off and on. Why? I mean, I was on. <laughs> so, given uh, <laughs> given ready. some backstory to that, I was uh, I was living in a sober living house. Uh, and uh, I had had... At the time. At the time, I was living in a sober okay. living house. And it wasn't a rule of sober living to not have a girlfriend, but it was frowned upon and it was suggested not to in the first 12 months of recovery. Um you know, emotions get high and just it's it's safer not to. Yeah. So yeah. as bad as I wanted to and as, as on as she was, uh, <laughs> I, I, I kind of I kept t- taking suggestions because they had gotten me that far. Yeah. They, they were suggesting I not do it. So I would, you know, once a month go to it and be like, I don't know. Because at that time, like <laughs> relapse wasn't on your mind. Like you were you were trying to do the damn thing and, and really really giving it everything yeah 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 when we first met i mean i was doing the you know they say do 90 meetings in 90 days and and i did uh i think it was like 146 in 90 days so right. i was i was all in Remember i this. was i yeah. was committed you know so yeah. it was um yeah relapse was in the rearview mirror as far as i could tell yeah. yeah they say um you know don't get in a relationship within a year it's suggestion and i i mean personally i waited 3 just because that's where I was at. Like, I was scared to be in a relationship. But I've, I, I do believe now it's not that you're going to relapse if you get in a relationship. It's just that it's harder. You kind of have to choose your heart in that scenario when you found someone you do want to be in a relationship with and you don't have much time. It's like, you know... I can I can date this person, but it's going to be difficult. I'm going to have to learn and really fight to put recovery first. And then there's putting recovery first. It's easier, but I'm also fighting to not be with this person I want to be with. Yeah. Um, so what what were those conversations like for y'all, making a decision to do it and then not to do it? Where were your heads at? Um. So... I mean, the plan was just to, to like, you know, I mean, we both, I think, knew that I, we were into each other, but the plan was just to stay friends and, like, learn about each other and hang out and spend time or whatever and take it really slow. And that was kind of the advice of, like... Everyone? You know, yeah. <laughs> Literally everyone. <laughs> you know, and we did great for a minute. So when did you start kind of leaning towards a relapse? When did you start to have those thoughts or those behaviors? Yeah, walk us through what what led up to it, like yeah, the feelings sure. so, and stuff. So what it was is, um, 
You know, as as much as as AA is part of my recovery, uh, mental health therapy, um, medication, things like that is something that I thoroughly believe in now. And those are the things that I had never had anything to do with before in my life. So I was all into recovery, one hundred percent, doing doing, you know, step work and meetings and sponsoring guys. I was I was doing those things, but I was ignoring some underlying issues I may have had. You know, some outside issues mm. that I had never addressed or, or had too much pride to admit to. So um, there was some serious depression that was kind of building up. Um, and then we went on a canoe ride, a canoe trip to the Okotoma. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it was that, that kind of, I don't know why that made me sad, but it was like such a high when we were there. It was fun and we were having the best time. And, you know, it was just like that. And then when we got back, it was such a low. And it was like I wanted, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, mentally in the middle where you have to be. I was still doing this. Ups and downs. Yeah. And uh, so, and in, instead of, you know, probably just being honest with the people around me like I should have been, I kind of isolated myself, including with her. You know, I was like, hey, I don't think this is going to work out. Um, but in the back of my head, at some point in that, in that low, you know, that that switch flipped and I thoroughly believe too that like, you know, nobody else can put drugs or alcohol in your body. Like I made the, the conscious decision, Hey, I want to do this. You know, I want to change the way I feel. I'm fixing to go get high. And, uh, so, I mean, that's what happened. You know, I, I didn't reach out. I, I did reach out, but I didn't take the advice, uh, eventually, you know? So, um, I, yeah. And then the next two or three months, uh, I didn't tell anybody, you know, I was doing something. I don't want to turn this to a PSA. I don't know what we, anything talking about is off limits. It's not. But, yeah. uh, if okay. it's not for you. Oh, no. Yeah, it's not for me. So um, I was doing Kratom, you know, from the gas stations, uh, which is very addictive, very bad stuff. It's, um, you know, your, your receptors in your brain react to it the same way it does opiates. So, um, and that's what I was doing. And, the type of drug that that is, um, you know, just by design is kind of easy to to hide, unfortunately. So I did for the next few months, and that that is what ripped me apart um, because I was still active around sober people um, in a relapse. Yeah. So, and then you did know, you go to meetings consistently during this time? As consistently as you did, mm -mm, you no, fellowship. I, yeah, I went from seven a week to two. Okay. You know, I was still showing up every once in a while, but it was very, very, it was a lot different. Do you think people noticed? I'm sure, you know, I don't know. You know, it was one of those things where I didn't really, kind of like he was saying earlier, you know, I wasn't, I was hiding it. I was trying to hide it, but I wouldn't have been upset if somebody would have found out. That would have been fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. that would have almost been like a, a saving grace if somebody would have brought it up. Yeah. You know, and uh, we went to Missy Paul. Actually, I was <laughs> still on the committee performing commitments um and it was at missy paul we we do there's a thing there where you know like the sobriety countdown everybody stands up for their time mm -hmm. and i didn't stand up because i didn't want to lie i wasn't sober you know and uh you didn't go to the bathroom or something or okay so you did <laughs> i left the building yeah i definitely <laughs> would have left the building so, i was about to say no way you just sat there yeah i was like you know i'm really hungry uh, and she's like you're about to do the sobriety countdown i was like i'm so hungry <laughs> Uh, yeah, I probably would have left the state, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Where'd you go, like, Michael? I'm in Michael? Florida. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so wow. they did the sobriety countdown. Um, a friend of ours, um, Murphy, uh, stood up with four days, and he was somebody that we thought had a lot. I thought had a lot more time than that then, and uh, and I was like, wow. And then everybody embraced him and loved him, and that was just like a, that was the breaking point for me when I realized, like, man, you know, like I'm not going to get like, you know, shunned if I come clean and be honest with these people, yeah, you know, that that love me for anyways. Shout so. out Murphy. Yeah, shout out Murphy. Thank you. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he, I mean that that's what that's what broke the the final straw. So, and then a couple of days later, I think I told my sponsor, told Madison. You know, um, and then started the uh, the back and forth because, like I said, the the allergy had kicked in. The obsession was there, and yeah, I had to do some serious separating. Yeah, well, that's a lot of layers that you created, and I don't have that experience uh, yet. <laughs> of like, um, there's no wood in here to knock, but you need to build some of that too. Okay, Danny. <laughs> um, but I, but I've, I do have friends like you and others that have been relapsing, still coming to the meetings, keeping their agenda. Like everything in their daily lives is the same, except at night they get high, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's so baffling, you know, that we can do that. We can do that and get away with it for a while, like not a long time, but. Um, there's so many layers that you created. There's lying to friends, lying to people in the rooms that you know. Then then once that's gone, there's still more for you to do. And so this was three months. Yeah. yeah wow. It was, uh, it was three months. It was, uh, like I said, I was kind of, uh, as bad as it was and as much lying and manipulation as I was doing, I still wanted to, uh, I was excited about Missy Paul still. Yeah, it's like you're trying to, to yeah. cling to the the good that's left in your life, even though you got this darkness going on on the other side here. Yeah, um, yeah. One of the questions you asked a second ago is like, you know, could could people tell? And like, I was in meetings with them, you know, during that time, and like, I didn't I didn't notice, I didn't realize. Now looking back, like after you got honest and after you know you you came out of treatment, like, and I mean, I'd only known you for what six months before that. But I was like, oh, yeah, this is what his personality's like. Like, yeah, you, you definitely definitely were way different, you know, back in sobriety. But I think I think it's one of the things that people in recovery, like we still have normal lives. Life still throws shit storms at us. And like sometimes there are highs and lows in recovery. Like hopefully they're not as big of, you know, highs and lows as they are when we were drinking and using. Um, but like. PSA, check on your friends, you know, yeah. um, because you never really know like, oh, like I could have just been thinking like, oh, he had a shit day at work. Uh, or that might have been what what you said, you know, at some point, if somebody asked you about it, like, oh, you know, work kicked my ass today or whatever. Like, I'm good. I'm just, you know, in, in one of the moods or or something like that. Um, but like we, we've had friends that relapse and then, you know, don't make it back into the, the rooms and don't make it back alive. Um, and so I think that's, that's really crucial part of my recovery now is like, um, and I'm not always great at it, but trying to reach out to other alcoholics, reach out to people I care about, especially if I haven't seen them around, haven't seen them in a meeting recently, like, yo, where the hell, where the hell is that person at? Yeah. Um, cause sometimes like 
that's the thing that, that that person needs. You know, they can be sitting at home, isolate and thinking, uh, you know, they weren't my real friends anyways. Nobody really cared about them. And then all of a sudden you get a text that says, hey, man, hadn't seen you in a while. Love you. I hope you're doing okay. Let's get coffee sometimes. Like that one message can give you the hope or the light that like, oh, well, the, Adam cares about me still or Sarah yeah. cares about me still or um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's a, a crucial thing to do. Yeah. It is. And I, I mean, I would hope that I would notice it more if it was another one of my girlfriends. Love you, Michael, but I didn't notice, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but I would hope that if it was, you know, one of my, the one, another woman in recovery with me that I would notice more. Um, but yeah, that's, thank you for being on here and sharing that. That is absolutely, you know, it's fresh. It's a year ago. And, yep. and you've been incredible since you, you've definitely come back alive. I'm happy to see that. <laughs> um, so what is parenting like for you guys right now? I'm skipping, I'm skipping forward. Um, because this is pretty big. You have a little, little. Yeah. Rhodes Graham. Yeah. Yeah. That you found out you were pregnant with while Michael was in the relapse. Right. Like, we're well, good. Yeah. What yes. was that like leading up Hotel. Oh, yeah, parenting, yeah. having a baby? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So he went to treatment. Um, it, it was hard. Uh, you know, I remember little things like there was mold in my closet and I had to use the kills spray, mold spray. And I was like, can I use this right now? I'm pregnant. You know, is this safe? I need Michael. But he was in treatment. You know, like little things like that. Yeah. It wasn't like absorbing my all day every day but things would come up mm-hmm. you know and we could talk on the phone like once a week or something um i had my first um doctor's appointment without him um and saw it on the sonogram and you know like i mean we made it fun like i called the nurse's station and was like i have sonogram pictures can i email them and he printed them out up there and like you know i wish it didn't go that way but that's just like our story mm-hmm. um and, you know, his family was supportive. I, I was, you guys, like, everyone wrapped me up during that time um, and took care of me. Um, what was it like, like, the actual being pregnant part in recovery? Like, were there things that you couldn't do, medicines that you didn't want to take, any stuff like that, just because of, you know, being sober? No, and I was so worried. Are are you asking me if, like, there was, like... So, like, I was so worried. I don't know if this is what you're asking, but I was super worried that I couldn't take, like, my Prozac Mm -hmm. pregnant, and, you know, that's going to be a real problem. Yeah. (laughs) Your your mental health medications. Yeah. 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 Is that what you were asking me? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, I just wasn't sure. I mean, like, I, I know, like, this much about pregnancy, but, like, you know, like, if you had... If normally people think, have pain medication yeah. or if there's like other things <laughs> oh, that go along birth. with it that like because God. you're, you know, in recovery that you you didn't want to risk. Yeah, yeah. So I. um, Yeah. How was it pushing it out? I didn't. Oh, OK, good. I tried. She, she tried for 12 hours. I tried for a really long time. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have experience with pain and uh, physical pain and sobriety. I, a couple of years ago, I broke my ankle and had to have surgery and you know, the thing with the painkillers. So uh, me and my mom have like a system now. We've we've been there. We were ready, you know, for birth. 
Um, yeah. She comes, she stays with me as long as there are pain pills in the house and she holds them and dispenses them. And that's what works for us. Yeah. You know, I can't say that that's what you need to do anytime you have serious pain, but that's, that is what has worked for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was like, give me the meds because yeah. birth is painful. My epidural came out. I, they were tossing me back and forth trying to like position me weird and my epidural came out and I was like, isn't that like a super up. long needle? Like, yeah. Just yeah. chilling what in your back. The Yeah. The thing. It came, came unplugged yeah. from my uh, back. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And she grabbed uh, me and screamed and I was asking for pain medicine you know, <laughs> right. in, in that moment in time for her. Right. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I approach, you know, the, the pain med situation. It was like talked about and, you know, it planned. I didn't just go into it, you know, like I'm a drug addict and I'm about to give birth, you know, we'll see. Right. Yeah. But, I think it's really smart that you had a, a plan in place for it. Yeah. You know, I had to. It's something that I've experienced having to take pain meds in sobriety, which is scary because like, Opiates and heroin, that was like my main, main shit. Yeah. Uh, that was my jam. <laughs> you know, I like to freaking melt into a sofa. Yeah. Um, but I know for me, like, like you're saying, like telling somebody else about it, you know, who's in sobriety, um, being upfront and honest about it, not like doing those old addict behaviors that we yeah. did. Like, cause if I got a, back in the day, like if I had a prescription, like I was in my pocket or in my glove box or like I didn't held it like my baby yeah like I had to have it on yeah it's like a safety blanket because yeah. I knew no matter what life threw at me like I could pop four of them bitches and right. be okay with it right yeah and who knows I you know I may have been that way if I hadn't gotten my mom to hold my prescription and dispense them but yeah. I you know I just don't know I don't want to know I yeah. don't want to gamble yeah. with it well it sounds like you both must have been in the center for something as big as a pregnancy to have not rocked you in your sobriety yeah. Would you say that that's the case? Yeah, I mean, I was in a really good place. Um, I mean, things were hard with him, for sure. But I had, like, just gone back through the steps and was taking somebody through the steps and um, was really involved and active and um, great spiritual life, pray, meditate every day. Um, so I, I was in a good place initially. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it, it held for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, I had to like build from ground zero. Right. I've, um, I've said this to you guys a few times before, but I have been so impressed by how quickly y'all turned your lives around for this kid. Um, not everyone's going to know this, but you guys went from, Basically, you know, the hotel situation, you have three horses um, living in, in a hole in Madison. And now you have almost a year sober. You're in a new house. You got a new job. You're full-time mom. Yeah. Um, follow her on TikTok. She does her daily life <laughs> vlogs. Yeah, drop the TikTok handle. Nah. Yeah. Nah. I mean, y'all okay, are okay. full-on parents. And it it's really impressive to me, you know, f from you, Michael, because everyone says that you can't 
get sober for anyone. And I, I do think that's true. I think we could all agree. Like you, you can't get sober for your mom, your dad, your kid, um, for anyone. Yeah. But I think yourself. you really got to want it to stay sober. Yeah. I think it's enough for some people to start sometimes, but like to maintain long-term sobriety, like you got to want it for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and how would you make sense of that then? If she showed you that she's pregnant because it sounds like she showed you she's pregnant, you were in the hospital, and then you just get sober. Yeah. In the hotel. Is that really how ha- hotel? What yeah. did I say? Hospital. hospital. I was in a hospital the week before, but that's a right. different part of the story. Different yeah. part. <laughs> um, shout out St. Dominic's. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I learned this from a therapist. So I, this is not, not philosophy that I came up with, but I do think that this is, is absolutely. Um, you know exactly how I got sober is it takes outside motivators and inside motivators. And if you don't have both, you can't get sober. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you have just inside motivators, but your whole outside world is like, get, get fucked up, then you're probably not going to get sober. And if the whole outside world is telling you to get sober and you don't want to, it's not. So it takes both. And for me, I mean, before the hotel scene, I had spent the past year, surrounding myself with recovery. I didn't have any friends anymore that I hung out with regularly that wasn't sober. Um, so I was trying to build that outside motivation. It was the inside I was fighting with a little bit, but I wanted to get sober, but it, it wasn't enough to have friends or, you know, family want me to get sober. It was having a human being that depends on me 100%. You know, and then having somebody that was, you know, going to really need me in the next nine months. Yeah. Like, that was enough for me to say, what do I need to get, do? Because at that point, you know, you have to um, separate yourself from the substances. I had to go to treatment. Yeah. You yeah. know, so it doesn't matter how much inside-outside motivation I got. You know, I'm physically addicted to something. So yeah, you needed a detox. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. But but that's what it is, you know, and that's still what it is today. You know, I want to live, as I said before. Um, you know, I get when when I drink or use or change the way I feel, um, I get sad. You know, and I don't want to be here anymore. So, and I want to be here. I have more reasons to be here now than I ever have. So that, to me, is the inside and outside motivation at the same time, and that's that's kind of how it works. What did that that period of time that Madison just described in the pregnancy like? What was that like for you? you know, coming out of treatment and like, okay, I got a girlfriend, soon to be wife who's pregnant. Um, like I got a baby on the way. I don't have a job. I don't have like, cause all, I mean, I'm not trying to tell your story, but like a lot of that stuff had, you know, kind of fallen away. I, I remember conversations we had where you're like, dude, what the hell? Like, what am I supposed to do? Great question. Yeah. So walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. So, um, before I went to treatment, I was at a company that I had been a contracting or full-time with for eight years. And uh, that company let me go when I w- went in, you know, I separated myself. So, um, or they separated themselves from me. I didn't separate anything. But, uh, <laughs> so, so I came, I came out with, you know, for the first time in my life before, as I said, you know, I've been trying to get sober for a year. So there was periods of time where I was like, this is my career. This is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Yeah. So, you know, not only was my life about to change with a child and wife, but I, you know, had a, a career change mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of that. So it was, the funny thing is I almost wanted to say it was hard, but it was really, really easy because, you know, 
you, you can't you can't add time up. You know, you don't take the time you had and put it on the time you got now, but you can yeah. add you can add what you learned in that experience and I knew that God had it. Yeah. You know, like I knew I had had enough time and been around enough sober people to know that it was going to be okay. You'd seen what he do. Yeah. So like I, I like I said I wanted to say it was hard, but it was actually like kind of it was comforting. You yeah. Know, to know that like I will be okay. You know, no matter how hard or how difficult this may be, you know, I that I will be okay. And the funny thing is is well, uh, an old sponsor of mine got me a job with a guy who owns a company who's in recovery for 10 years. So that was my wow. first job out of treatment was with a guy in recovery. Um, so that was another layer of safety. Yeah. You know, I didn't God have to put you right where you needed to be. Yeah. And so that, that was perfect. That's what I needed at the time. So, um, I mean, yeah, it was kind of a step down really, you know, like it wasn't sober living. I wasn't, um, you know, inside a facility anymore, but my, the people I worked with were sober, mm-hmm. you know, like there, that was, that was huge, you know, going to work every day and knowing that there wasn't going to be any kind of temptation there was um, really what I needed for those first few months out. And, yeah. and, and then once I, uh, you know, decided to make her a stay at home mom, you know, we moved, moved jobs a little bit. So yeah, <laughs> in recovery, ignorance is not bliss. It is, it's dangerous. Yeah. Like to to be around too many people that don't understand me is really dangerous for me. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that they say like in treatment centers that you need to change your people, places, and things. Yeah. Um. And that was that was something that I definitely had to do. Like, I remember getting my uh my counselor in treatment to like let me have phone privileges so I could go through and delete numbers. And I cleared out like 300 numbers of like, well, I've smoked pot with this person. I tripped yeah. with this person. This person sells this. I get drunk with this person. Yeah. Um, basically everybody in my life who like even drank, um, not even necessarily people that did all the other stuff I was doing. Um, I kind of had to cut them off and like I made a new Facebook cause I didn't want to see all those old people and what they were doing. Um, I think it's, it's really important. Like you see people relapse and go back out by doing that. Like they're, you're trying to live with one foot in both worlds. Yeah. And it's like I can I can either live in this party world where everybody's doing what they're doing, uh, or I can step over here into God's world. And um, I don't know for me, like I I had to go all in. I kind of took the same approach that I took with drugs and alcohol. Once I started, like you said, I was off to the races. I was right. all in. Um, and same thing with recovery. And I, I think that's true for a lot of people. Like when you experience enough pain uh, out there doing what we were doing. Um, for me, like I, I was willing to do anything. I was willing to do whatever, you know. Um, there was there was like no more fight left in me. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you guys a few more questions before we close out. Cool. Um, do you enjoy your lives now or are you bored? I enjoy my life. How? How? How do you have fun and recovery and uh, sobriety? I mean, the same way as before. It's just, you know, I have to take another step to... Like when we went, we went. To, we still do stuff. We still. Yeah. What do we do, Madison? We went. We went on this year's Okotoma trip. Yeah. We just called Mamma up. You know, we said, "Hey, we got to get out of the house." Yeah. And she came over. You know, she she's there right now. Yeah. So we're doing this. Are you enjoying this? Over. Is this fun and recovery right now? Absolutely. It's, okay. It's exhilarating <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to. Took took a little bit of um, coercion, but it worked out. 
Right. Yeah. We had to coerce Michael is what we're that's yeah. right. really getting at. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> he, he really just didn't want to, you know. Yeah, you were right. so nervous, it but you're so, doing great. That's right. So sweaty. So yeah. speaking of fun and recovery, I know like you've been to a bunch of music festivals sober. Yeah. 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 Probably one of my favorite things to do since I've gotten sober. You know, I never went to a music festival before I got sober. Really? I didn't know that. I had such anxiety. I just knew I would get there and get on drugs and freak out and want to call my mom. I just really? never had enough money. Never went, me neither. Right. You know, like Bonnaroo tickets are like 500 bucks. Like, bro, that's a, I'm that's still, enough dope for a couple days. Yeah, like. I'm still wondering how I pull off Bonnaroo tickets today. Yeah. But, um, yeah, amazing experience. I've done all kinds of things sober that I was never able to do getting high. Yeah. Which is, you know... That amazes me all the time. What's that like for you being like around that type of scene in sobriety? It's, it's fun. I, um, I don't have any trouble with it, uh, at all. I mean, and we camp with, uh, Soberu, you know, we went, we kind of like the, uh, surgery thing. Like we made a plan. We were prepared. We went and we camped with sober people. So we had a home base to go to. And there were, you know, meetings we could go to. I, we don't really kind of, we don't really show up, you know, unprepared anymore. Maybe mm. that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Like, yeah. Go into those things with the plan. And yeah. Got and also to. like the, man, I, the last one that we were at, I just can't imagine being there in that heat, like oh. messed up and like having not been prepared. Yeah, you want to talk about not having fun. Oh yeah. yeah. I was hoping we would talk about this, Michael. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Michael, I have a very famous that. photo of you in the car getting a pep talk by one of our sure. guy friends. Yeah, you did not and look your happy. eyes are just blazing and you look like you're about to. <laughs> so, so we were going to this uh, Bonnaroo yeah. in uh, 22 uh, and uh, I'd already bought tickets and then I had relapsed. But this was during the three months of Milan about it. So I went to Bonnaroo and so camping for four days in 100 degree heat coming off a of Kratom. <laughs> and alcohol, or no, just Kratom at the time. But uh, yeah, so it was it was a great time. It was miserable. Yeah. It was so miserable. It, it was awful. Um, oh, everybody was like, "Why doesn't he and like then, this?" Uh, no offense, but meanwhile, I was having the best time. Same, like feeling feeling God <laughs> in the yoga classes. Yeah. yeah, Sarah went and like ran a five k that she, morning. I ran a five k. Yeah. It was amazing. She almost passed out from heat exhaustion and was like happy about it. Yeah. Like we're out here fighting. Yeah, but here's some. There's a message here. There's a message. We can choose another right. and go to the yoga instead. Yeah, yeah. yeah but it was absolutely. like the Okotoma because we just went recently, and so you've had now two very different experiences at the same place with the same people at the same time of year. Mm-hmm. The only change is you. Yeah. The The funny part is, is, you know, I always thought doing drinking and doing drugs is like the, the wild and free thing to do. You know, like that's freedom is, right. is to, to, to change mm-hmm. the way you feel. But that's, you know, captivity is doing things under the influence of something. Cause yeah. you have to be under the influence to, to enjoy it. It's terrible. You know, true. I've no. I've realized. You asked the question earlier. You know, what do you do for fun now? Like everything's fun. Yes. It, it, you know, like being sober, like anything I do, going to work is a blast because I know I'm like there. I'm present. Mm-hmm. Somebody asks yeah. me a simple question, I'm like, wait a second, I can remember the answer to this. Yeah. That's, you know, stuff like that's fun. Yes. You know. Uh, so and and then when I go to the Oklahoma, like we did this year. You know, I was able to to do just a little hump, you know, 
and then it come right back to my daily life. But it was so it's so much fun. It's incredible how that happens. Like how before getting sober, like I always felt like I had to have a, a substance to enjoy the mundane things. Yeah. Like I'm um, going to the DMV, better get high. Like, yes, got to go grocery shopping, better get high. It's time yeah. for dinner, better get high. It's time for literally anything like i have I had to put to the sheets high. on my bed yeah, yeah like wow. I got, and now i, I gotta love smoke putting a blunt the before this blunt yeah. so that i'll be high for the blunt like yeah um somebody's coming over to get high should get high yeah yeah 100 <laughs> percent. but then like in recovery i can i can find enjoy them enjoy them enjoyment or peace uh doing those mundane things like i don't love washing the dishes but like put my speaker in the kitchen, crank up some songs I like, and all of a sudden I'm like singing at the top of my lungs, dancing around my kitchen, having a good time, yeah. doing a task that I didn't want to do. Yeah. Right. Um, and even like at work and stuff too, you know, like sometimes I don't have the best day at work, but then lots of times if I'm spiritually right and if I'm looking for them, I find an opportunity where I can have like a really genuine conversation with somebody and help them out of a situation where they've, thought that their world was falling yeah and I don't do anything that serious like I'm in sales you know it's not not like I'm a therapist or anything but I found like when I'm centered and when I'm I'm right with God and looking for him like those opportunities pop up all over the place um and that's the stuff that gets me high nowadays like when I get to share some of my story and somebody's like oh man I thought I was the only person that did that like you get to see the relief in somebody's face or, or whatever the situation may be like, man, that's so much better than, than actually getting high. Yeah. 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 And then hopefully our lives do always go up and down. You know, hopefully we always do have things to be excited about and things to be sad about are going to happen, but it's, it's not that dramatic anymore. Yeah, yeah, I had a therapist uh, make this analogy or hand gesture to me once um, before I got sober, way before I got sober. She said, you know, everybody's life has ups and downs and yours are like this, like way exaggerated. Right. You know? She said normal people's lives, ups and downs are like this, you know, just same not- events, different person. Right. Yeah. 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 Something happens to me. I was like, that's, that's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know me. You don't know my life. That's right. Yeah. And then that's a low, low, low point. Yeah. Yeah, it turns out she's right. Yeah. That's crazy. Everybody was right. It's funny. It just made me think, like, I've been on and off in therapy since I was, like, seven years old. Like, when my parents got divorced, they threw me in anger management therapy and, like, all kinds of other stuff. But I never was honest with a therapist until I got sober and I would always talk about therapy like, oh, man, therapy's some bullshit. That doesn't work. What am I going to do? Talk to this old man. Like, I remember being a young kid and going to see this this older male therapist. And he was, like, trying to, like, you know, get me to open up, make conversation with me. And he asked me something about PlayStation 2. And I remember being like, this idiot doesn't know shit about PlayStation. <laughs> like, who, who does he think I am, this dumbass? Like, I know you old, but get out of here. Like, I was so offended that he wanted to talk to me about PlayStation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did the same thing. When I first time I went to therapy, I would sit and I, w- I was an adult, but I would sit in therapy and, and cry. And yeah. my therapist would just go, Maybe you should get sober. I was like, that's not going to help anything. (laughs) That's so sad. (laughs) Oh, Michael. (laughs) Oh, it was. It was the truth, though. And but I had the same view of the therapist as I I was going for help, but I didn't think that they could help. 
Right. Yeah. Which is a which is an example of like every other relationship in my life at that time. You know, you're not going to help me. Right. Right. Yeah. I feel like a lot of addicts do that. Like we pay somebody and just sit there and lie to them for an hour. Right. Once a week. It's great. Yeah. Once a week. Like clockwork. (laughs) Yeah. And like expect some sort of result out of it. I'm about to get better. Like, yeah, I'm taking, I don't know, 20 oxys a day, but that definitely can't be why I'm having sleep problems. Like I remember getting on sleeping medicine when I was doing shit loads of cocaine and like <laughs> telling the therapist that I had insomnia and like kind of have always had like trouble falling asleep. Not so much anymore, really. But like before getting sober, when I was little, like I was never one of those people that could just lay down and pass out. Um, and so like I used that in the back of my mind, like, well, it, it can't be the blow because I've always had trouble sleeping. Right, right, right. Yeah, it was it was definitely the cocaine. Yeah, 100%. for sure. Yeah. Well, y'all, this has been amazing. Oh. I'm really glad that you both came on. Yeah. Thank you. It wasn't so bad, was it, Michael? It wasn't. I, no. I survived it. I'm so glad I did. <laughs> you did so well. Is there Thanks. anything else you guys want to share before we close up. out? I just want to say I'm really, like, glad to be on, and I'm really happy for you guys. This is really yeah, exciting. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, I listen. To, I have a I have a two-hour commute every day, so uh, I listen to podcasts, and this will be one that I pop in every now and then. You get to listen yourself tomorrow. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That'll last five minutes. Right. <laughs> sure. Well, thank you guys for being here. Thanks again. And um, thanks everybody on TikTok, Facebook, Spotify, everywhere you listen to podcasts for tuning in. Yeah, thanks, absolutely. Danny. If you want to uh, check out the shirts that Sarah and I are wearing, you can snag those at whiskeymilk.com uh, for some <laughs> undercover recovery gear. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Attention, now arriving at your destination, the last house on the block.